When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetic boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on a Sunday evening. You guys assuredly listening to this on Monday morning. After the Cubs, take two of three from the San Diego Padres to wrap up what was a very successful nine-game homestand. Brendan and I will bring you in here. We asked them to clean it up play better, and just start racking up some of these wins. And I think for the most part, there's still some cleaning up that needs to be done. I think there there was a lot going on in that Saturday game in particular, even though the Cubs got the W, that definitely needs to be cleaned up. But all told, the Cubs go 7-2 and two on this nine-game homestand. They, they pick up a lot of wins. They play a lot of good baseball. They get some big hits from their big guys, good pitching. I think all told, this is pretty much the the start to the second half that we were all looking for. Yeah, they've been playing a lot better, but there are still some things to talk about, specifically Garcia's defense in left field, if he's going to get more opportunities there, David Bodie, Addison Russell, and Albert Amora. All, all those guys still need to straighten some things out, as Joe Madden said, but 
as we were talking about over the last several podcasts, even though there are still some issues, the Cubs should have enough talent to outweigh some of those negatives right now. Of course, we saw that. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, the pitching staff, the bullpen, they picked up some of the slack, and we had a winning homestand. And we're right back in the saddle. There's still several games up in the first place in the NL Central, and there's still a lot to be positive about going forward, only about, what, a week and a half away from the trade deadline, Corey? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the trade deadline is is going to be maybe the first thing we jump on after I, I run into the recap here. But just touching on that point that you just made, I, I do think that that's the key. We, we were simply stating, I think, over the last few weeks that even though the, we, you know, we've talked about the position player depth over and over and over again, we know the bullpen is kind of this working project throughout the whole year. And unless you see major changes in the personnel, you can't just automatically expect that to change, right? But we were we were really thinking that this team had enough talent to still be winning those games. And then we kept saying over and over, they should not have entire months where they're under 500. And I think, especially in this San Diego series, these first two games, you kind of saw what we were referring to. Like, San Diego's a good young team. They got a lot of young talent, you know, kind of like on the cusp of their breakout with some of these players. And sometimes the Cubs should just be able to win because Anthony Rizzo hits a grand slam or Javi Baez hits a go-ahead three-run home run and then they turn it over to Craig Kimbrell who locks it down a couple times like that really should be enough because the top tier talent that the Cubs have is better than most of the teams that they're playing and as we were running into the end of that first half there we just weren't seeing that we were seeing every little mistake that the Cubs were making or every big mistake in some of those games seem to just cost them every game and I think you were hoping once we got in the second half that if they could clean it up a little bit that relying on their their talent a little bit should be able to get them through a good number of these games. And I think over this homestand, again, going 7-2, and two, we did see more of that in addition to them playing tighter, cleaner baseball for the most part. So let's run through just a quick recap of what happened here over the weekend. The first two games of this series, both decided by a score of 6-5, to five, the Cubs coming out on top in both occasions. On Friday, the Cubs fell behind 3 to nothing early. But it was an Anthony Rizzo grand slam in the bottom of the third of the opposite field variety for Tony. Almora, Baez, and Chris Bryant all score. The Padres would tie it in the fifth. But then Javi Baez would hit his first of two go-ahead home runs this weekend. This, on Friday, was his 23rd. The Padres would tie it again in the eighth. But then a David Bodie ground out. And Anthony Rizzo being thrown out at home, but then Austin Hedges decides to throw the ball to first. It gets away from Eric Hosmer that allows Addison Russell to come around and score. And we appreciate that one from the San Diego Padres. Y'all want to come to Wrigley and clown around to allow the winning run to cross the plate? Cubs are more than happy to have you here, San Diego. So again, that is the sixth and final run. Kimbrell locks it down. That was his fifth save of the season for the Cubs on Friday, 6-5. to five, The final Saturday, the same score, the same man getting the save. This time, Jose Quintana getting the W. He was just okay in this one. Uh, not, not his best effort, but he did limit it to just one walk. He gives up five earned runs, eight hits, seven strikeouts over five innings to pick up his eighth win of the year. 
The Cubs had an early 2-0 lead on an Anthony Rizzo groundout and a Robel Garcia triple. That made it 2-0 in the bottom of the first, but the San Diego Padres would take a 3-2 lead in the top of the third on a Manny Machado homer. Anthony Rizzo would single in the bottom of the third to tie it at three. Padres would go back ahead by a run in the top of the fourth, but then the aforementioned Javi Baez go-ahead home run. This one, his 24th, a three-run shot to bring home David Bodie and Albert Almora. The Padres would add one more, but again, Craig Kimbrell would lock it down. And just because I feel like I've talked about him a lot, I you know maybe was trying to pretend that I wasn't going to talk about it, but I do want to mention John Lester's line from Friday. I didn't <laughs> forget about you, Johnny. I'm trying to give the people a break. But uh, he goes six innings, allows 12 hits, four earned runs, no walks, six strikeouts. His ERA still sits at 3.87. So another good start for John, not his best. But uh, you you know when, especially on those days at Wrigley where, you know, I'm sure I think the heat index was in the 110s. You know Johnny's sweating bullets before he even leaves the clubhouse. So uh, he, he gutted that one out, kept the team in the game, and ultimately they pay that off for him. Again, the Friday and Saturday finals, both 6-5 to five Cubs victories. And then on Sunday, not a lot doing for the Cubs against the San Diego pitching staff. They collect just six hits in this one, zero walks, and they strike out 10 times against the three San Diego pitchers. So not the best offensive effort that we have seen from the Cubs. The starter on this day was Kyle Hendricks, who was very good, but the offense just wasn't there for him. And he gave up the go-ahead run on a homer late in this one to take the loss. Kyle goes seven innings, allows four hits, two earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. So a very good start for Hendricks, but not good enough uh, with this offense on the day. The Padres, again, scoring five runs. A Tati single, Mejia homer, that was the go-ahead one in the top of the seventh off of Hendricks. And then they would add a few more in the ninth off of Carl Edwards Jr. So Carl Edwards Jr. and Kyle Ryan. So not the best back end of the bullpen game for the Cubs there, but that would be all she wrote. Again, the Cubs dropped the finale on Sunday, but overall a very productive homestand. As we mentioned, they win the series coming out of the break, sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates. They take two of three from the Cincinnati Reds to start this week, and then they take two of three from the visiting San Diego Padres before they head out on the road to play in San Francisco on Monday night. So, Brendan, I think a good place to start here because, again, we've talked about a lot of this, right? We can dig in and we'll talk about it a little more. There's some stuff that went on this weekend, but Albert Almora's numbers, still not good. David Bodie, still not hitting, still inconsistent. Addison Russell, still below league average at the plate, making blunders all over the field. This stuff hasn't changed, right? So we can keep talking about it, but it hasn't changed. And so unless the personnel changes, that that issue is sort of going to remain the same unless one of these guys just gets hot or, or really turns a corner here, but that just hasn't happened. So I think instead of talking about that, we, we do have, I think, that hot stove kind of starting to really heat up, Brendan. And one name that in particular is coming up a ton that we've mentioned before, 
but that is Nick Castellanos from the Detroit Tigers, and he is going to be an offense-first player. He actually hit a walk-off home run today for the Detroit Tigers as we record this on Sunday, somewhat fitting as a lot of teams are looking at him to add that little boost of offense, and he did just that for the Tigers today. So, Brendan, what are your thoughts on Castellanos in particular? Because I think right now, this is where the most smoke is. And I think for all of us that lived through the Jake Peavy, Brian Roberts, every five minutes they're going to get traded to the Cubs, even though neither of them ever played for the Chicago Cubs, I think we know that just because there's smoke, it does not mean that there is fire. But I think we all knew that Castellanos made a a good bit of sense for the Cubs. He, he's a free agent at the end of the year, should be very cheap, and is just someone who has put up consistent offensive numbers for a few years now for the Detroit Tigers. And so I think that when you figured that it made a lot of sense, and now we're hearing from a lot of the beat writers, David Kaplan confirming a report that came out from Detroit that there was really heavy interest there, and some of the other beat writers confirming that they're also hearing this, it it really seems like something that makes a lot of sense and you kind of get the feeling that it's just going to happen. It's it's only a matter of time now. One of Castellano's strengths is that he has good like bat the ball skills. And what I mean by that is he's a high batting average player. In 2018, he batted 298. This year, he's batting 280. And he combines that with some pretty good power. So his overall isolated power has been above 200 each of his last three seasons, all of which has totaled a WRC plus around 120. So again, 100 being league average, Castellanos has produced 20% more runs than an average hitter. But the one issue he has is that outfield defense. He was moved to right field after 2017 from third base. And since then, last season, he had a UZR uh, per 150 chances of negative 15. It was in the bottom tier of all of baseball. This year, a little bit better at negative six, but still far below league average. He's not a good defender. It's just simple as that. So you're weighing offense, you're weighing Probably a good situational hitter given those bat-to-ball skills against that defensive value that's just not there. So I think that the price is going to be cheap. He's a free agent, like you just said, and he's not the type of hitter that's going to demand a very strong package of prospects, more than likely maybe one or two mid-tier prospects, and that should be enough for for Castellanos. I, I like it. But I don't know if I'm sold with Castellanos being the only guy the Cubs should go out and acquire. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying that, Corey, is in Saturday's game, there were four guys on the field who almost just cost the Cubs the game. Right. And for, for example, David Bodie was at third base. Russell was at second base. Almora was in center field. And then in left field, to give him a chance, was Robo Garcia. And Garcia has done such a great job adapting. He had a clutch triple in that outing, but first ball hit to Garcia, line drive over his head. He turns the wrong way. He's not comfortable in left field, and he misplays the ball. On top of that, Russell, two defensive miscues, almost had two base running miscues. Offense, still an issue. And then Bodie. It seems as if sometimes the game speeds up on him and he messes up those routine grounders. Uh, Mora, we know know the issues with Almora. So four guys on the field that day 
Castellanos is not going to fix all four of those guys' issues. And so when Contreras comes back, maybe you can stabilize some of the other positions. But for, for me, I don't know if Castellanos is enough, Corey. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. And I think you, you are going to get in a position where Joe is going to have to pick a lane in some of these respects where we've talked, like, honestly, like, it would be great if we could combine Almora and Castellanos into one player. Give me Castellanos' bat and Almora's glove. And I think you've got the, the player that the Cubs are, are really <laughs> actually looking for. But unfortunately, you can't play both of them at the same time. So yeah, and and we've talked about kind of one of the issues as the position group is is constructed now is that it feels like they have a few guys who are glove first some guys that are offense first and you you kind of have to decide on on a given day how many of a particular player do you really want out there can you afford to have two or three like if you have Almora, Russell, and now Martin Maldonado out there on the same day, you've got three guys that are below league average hitters, but that are are good defenders, unless Russell can't see the ball in the sun or whatever was going on on Saturday. But generally, you've got three guys who are plus defenders, but are not going to bring it to extremely varying degrees at the plate. And, And you have to ask yourself, like, can we afford that? Can can we afford to prioritize defense this much and put the burden of the offense on that top of the order? By the same token, if you're looking at someone like Castellanos, if he came over, can you afford to have Robel Garcia and Castellanos playing in the same lineup, right? Where these are guys that are just out there to hit and they're not going to bring much, if, if anything, even positive on the defensive spectrum. So I think it is a tough challenge situation for the Cubs as you're really waiting for some of these guys to get going and it's just not happening. So I think firstly, I don't love Garcia in the outfield. I think it's something they tried in the minors to sort of see how it would go. I don't, I'm not a fan of it. I know you want to try to get some of these guys in there and you're, you know, we, we've obviously seen the Cubs and Joe Madden prioritize versatility and moving guys around since he's been here. It's, it's a hallmark of this team. So I get it. But I just think that's one where it's like, this is, he's not an outfielder. We shouldn't try that. He should play second base exclusively. If you can't get him in there at second base, I would be hesitant to get him in there. But I do want him in there because he's obviously providing that slugging. So I'm with you. I think if you want to get Castellanos, I, I don't know that you can stop there. I, I think you, and, and whether that includes... Uh, you know, the, the talk on Ben Zobris changes all the time. Like they, they were optimistic, then they were pessimistic. Now there's particular deadlines where they need to sit down and talk to him. So I, I don't know. At this point, he's kind of in that Brandon Morrow category where it's like, right. I would love to see him back, but I really don't think we can count on it and even count on what we would be getting if he did indeed come back. But yeah, he should in no way should he determine what the Cubs yes. do with the traded line. There's no way. You have no idea what Ben Zobarist, who hasn't played in like almost a full calendar year, what he's going to do in consistent playing time. You have no idea. Right. So I think that if you got Castellanos and maybe you brought up Ian Happ and saw if he could kind of keep going on this hot streak that he's been on in the minors and and get back into a flow at that major league level, he was taking some games uh, this weekend at second base, which I think is a little telling. But I do think that Castellanos alone is not necessarily going to 
solve some of the issues that we've been talking about. But I do think that, especially if you know we're looking at something where it's similar to the Hamels deal or some of these other deals where you're really just not giving up prospects of any significance, even if it's multiple prospects, right? Like I think there was one report floating around on Twitter from one of the beat writers that was suggesting it should probably just be a minor leaguer, nothing crazy, and unless it's part of a bigger deal, really shouldn't be that big of an acquisition cost for the Cubs to get Castellanos. So I think if you can do that and and you're not losing any sleep over the guys that you're sending back to Detroit, I think you do it because you get a consistent bat. He's only got, I think it was like 60-something plate appearances uh, or at-bats against lefties, but he mashes them, just absolutely mashes them. And I, I think you get that guy in the fold and you say, okay, we've got a consistent bat. He can give us the production. And then you turn it over to Joe and say, now you have to move these pieces around and decide where you're going to be prioritizing defense, where you're going to be prioritizing offense, and how risky you can get with those things going one direction or another. But another name that pops up is another member of the Detroit Tigers, and that is Shane Green. We, we still hear the Cubs connected to relievers. And I think that talk has has died down at least a little bit, just in terms of the significance, right? Like I think at the beginning of the year, you were immediately getting the Cubs connected to those top tier guys, even some of these guys from the San Diego bullpen, Will Smith of the San Francisco Giants. Sean Doolittle was a name that we were hearing a lot. Now, the, the tricky part is a few of these teams have found themselves back in the wild card race, competitiveness. So that's up to them whether they want to try and buy assets to compete for a wild card spot or if they want to just sort of stick with saying, eh, we're not really that good, we're, we're going to sell off. So that's a tough situation. But we do still hear the Cubs connected to these relievers, Brendan. So what do you think about, let's say we were putting together a bigger package for the Tigers? Is, is Green someone that you're interested in? H- how much are you still prioritizing getting back bullpen pieces when you look at this, the, the the state of this Cubs bullpen, obviously it was only only one outing, but I, I think we were all maybe hoping that Carl would come back and get back to where he was before he got hurt and be a more reliable, even if not a, a top leverage guy, but still someone that they could rely on. And again, only one game, but that was a version of Carl that we have seen before. And similar to other things, how much do you want to rely that that's not the Carl you get forward? So, so where are you kind of on the, on the bullpen element of as we are what uh, ten days away from the trade deadline? So it's it's coming up here, and you know Theo's typically one to strike when the iron is hot, not wait around. So where are you on that element of things? Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into a knee pain. I couldn't even sit on the motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery. <laughs> Panned out great. Recovered overnight. Was home by 11 o'clock the next morning. I'm glad I made the choice for Kaiser Permanente. I'm enjoying life. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan in the Middle Atlantic States, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. 
I, I don't want to trade any type of even mid to top tier prospect for for Shane Green. And there's exceptions to that rule. We saw that with Chapman, that made sense, where Chapman historically for his entire career has been a top tier reliever. For Shane Green, this is his best uh, year in his career yet. He does have a 1.03 ERA, totally recognize that. Some of the underlying peripherals are not as kind to Shane Green. So what I mean by that is his FIP is 3.54. And for relievers and small sample sizes, FIP is actually not the best for relievers. There's better stuff out there to evaluate them off of. So it's not as if he's this 3.5 FIP guy, which is going to translate to 3.5 ERA. He's somewhere in the middle between that one ERA and 3.5. Regardless, though, last season in 2018, similar strikeout rate, similar walk rate as he has this year, but in 2018, his ERA was 5.1. His FIP was 4.6. He was not a good reliever. So I'm I'm a little scarred by going out and getting these relievers who have had short-term success. We saw that with Justin Wilson with Detroit. We saw that even with, with Kinsler last year. We've been scarred by a lot of these guys who have been good that season. They come over to the Cubs. All of a sudden, they're just not that great. Doesn't mean I want to go out and get more bullpen arms. I think seeing Carl only throw around 93 today was a little disconcerting for me. And Strope, having a few hiccups here and there and his velocity being down at times too, kind of gives me some pause and some hesitance. But I'm still not going out there and trading Nico Horner and Adbert Alzolai and Miguel Amaya and Brennan Davis and all of those guys for a Shane Green. And yeah, it's it's possible that the asking price might have to include a top-tier prospect because Shane Green won't be a free agent until the until after the following season. So he has a year and a half team control left. It's just the asking price seems too big for me if it was not as big as including those Brennan Davises, Namayas and, and Horners. Yeah, I'll consider it, but I'm assuming it is going to include those big names. And because of that, I'm, I'm not down with that idea. But again, it doesn't mean I don't think the Cubs should go out and entertain bringing in more arms. But before they do, though, I want to see other guys get chances. I want to see Rowan Wick get back up. I've been talking about Rowan Wick a lot. I want to see him get back up, get a few more chances. I still think with Carl coming back from the injury, maybe one or two outings to get a better idea what the velocity could look like because it does stabilize after two or three start, uh, outings. So there's still some time for me to to figure that out, I guess, as, as a fan. But who knows? If, if if the Cubs and the front office think, okay, like this bullpen could be an issue come September because I don't know if I can trust Kinster. I don't know if I can trust Strope. I don't know if I can trust uh, CJ coming back. Then maybe it does make sense to kind of go out there and subtly overpay for Shane Green, even though I don't want to do it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that unless the Cubs are getting back, a proven elite level reliever. I, I'm content to not be giving up some of the better names in this system just because this yeah. is a time where these teams have assets and they try to get the most that they can. And and so obviously you don't want to be in a position where you are giving up more than you're comfortable with because you feel like you have a position to a position of need to fill. And I, I'm I'm with you. I think the Cubs have some names that have the potential and have performed well either a little bit at the major league level or in the minors to fill out this bullpen. And I think if you can have a situation where you have Kimbrell, Cisek, Strope, 
as your top three guys, maybe Brandon Morrow as we get further down into the season here. I think that that's a strong group, and you can hope that some of these other guys step up. Again, Kyle Ryan has generally been very good. Brandon Kinsler has been very good all year. I think it's a strong enough group that I, I unless you're getting back a proven dominant reliever, I don't want to be paying the price. I don't want to be right. paying and- the price for someone that, and, and we've seen this before, and obviously these situations are always different, but you just don't want to get someone who, like you said, Brendan, you know, maybe has a good ERA, but the underlying numbers, then he comes over here and the walk rate is up all of a sudden. And you're just looking at it going like, <laughs> yeah, this guy yeah. isn't that good. Like he's just another guy in this bullpen. Like we don't need more of those guys. If you can get right. a, a proven elite, maybe not necessarily elite, but someone who can pitch in those medium to high leverage spots, then I'm all for it. But I, I, right. I, I'm okay not paying a big price for a reliever unless there's someone who's going to bring that dominant stuff over to the Cubs bullpen. Plus, like once, like we're assuming the Cubs will make the playoffs, how we operate, right? So if you're acquiring arms with intention for the playoffs, I do think it's important to consider like, hey, the Cubs have five starters who are very strong. They're not going to use all five of those starters in the playoffs. One of those guys will be going to the bullpen, whether that's Quintana whether that's uh, Darvish, Hamels, we'll see how he looks when he's back, but he sounds as if he's healthy. Those are still formidable options for the bullpen in addition to Cizek and Strope and Kimbrell and everyone else who we just named. So the Cubs, I think, come October should have plenty of arms in that bullpen if they need it. It's just a matter of, okay, can we get through August? Can we get through September with the current bullpen? I think we can. I, I Maybe that's just you know the recency bias of seeing these guys perform so well. But for Kinsler, it's been 40 innings, man. 40 innings. He has not walked that many guys. His walk rate is 1.99. His ERA is 2.21. His FIP, again, not the best for relievers in these small sample sizes, but 3.7. Pretty good. So I think overall the bullpen has, has formed into a group where you are trusting them a little bit more. And seeing Kimbrough come in, throw 97, 98, 99, he has that wicked knuckle curveball. It does give you more confidence, I think, to expect for August, for September. Yeah, the bullpen's fine. And going out there and giving up top-tier prospects to stabilize the seventh inning or try to prepare for someone else getting hurt or not expecting value from Kinsler, I'm not comfortable going out there and trading a top-tier prospect for that. I'm just not into that idea. I think the team has so many other holes right now that they need to address that, yeah, if we go out and trade someone like uh, Miguel Amaya for an outfielder with team control, Yes, now I'm considering that. If that's David Peralta, yeah, I'm I'm considering that now. Right, yeah, I'm with you. I think we're on the same page there. I I think I would be prioritizing consistent offensive production and and ways to inject more depth into this position player group than I would in the bullpen. I I just think that's where the, the strongest weakness of the team is and where your ability to reliably add options is just not as strong and and I think right that you you brought up a good point that especially with the pitching staff you have to remember that when you get into these playoff series and situations you're able to condense everything down right so in a five and the Cubs game, did that in that World Series too which yes. they won by the way but like you look at that game seven and even just the playoffs in in general like Strope had that triceps injury he was nowhere near right either it was the knee injury I'm sorry Rondon had a triceps injury and then Strope had his uh, meniscus problem but that entire bullpen was basically <laughs> our oldest Chapman, 
and at times even Justin Grimm. Outside of that, the Cubs went to John Lester multiple times. They had, of course, Kyle Hendricks, and they they survived doing it that way. So the rotation, its depth is a huge part of the playoffs, and the Cubs are fortunate to have such a strong rotation that they can afford to do that. Right, and and you think of someone like Brandon Morrow in particular, right? Like part of the reason the Cubs are probably in this situation where he's not pitching right now is because when the Dodgers got to the playoffs, they used him, I, I, wasn't it every game? Or like it was every game yeah. in the World Series. No, it was literally every game in the World yeah. Series, yeah. So this is what teams do. So you don't need the entire bullpen to be reliable and lights out once you get to the playoffs. Like we we joke about how often they use Steve Ciszek in the regular season, but if you're doing that in the playoffs, assuming his arm is still attached by the time you get there, that's fine. <laughs> not you're not worried about that. Steve Ciszek can pitch three of five games in an NLDS series, and no one's batting an eyelash, right? You can throw yeah. Craig Kimbrell out there by that time, especially when he's had you know more time to really get like freshened up in the 2019 season and stuff, and, and caught up on his his schedule. Like you can pitch him. Every game, almost every game. We saw that with Aroldis Chapman. Like, this isn't revolutionary stuff. So I think that you have the pieces to get by with that and be successful with the bullpen. I think you have to put your your focus and your priority on the offense. That That's just where I see it. The offense and the defense all at the same time. That right. that position group is where I would be directing the attention. So don't you think it's weird how Ian Happ has not been called up, though? Like, we're... Again, I'm not sure nine what we're days, waiting for. Yeah, I, it, we're nine days away, Corey. It is like, interesting I feel to if, me, especially because he he got hot. He's been really hot in in AAA uh, for a for while a, now. A little, a, yeah, what, a good while here. Third straight week, yeah. And if if only, like you said, because we're close to this trade deadline, just to see if you can just keep him riding that hot hand up at the majors. And I know that there were very particular adjustments that they wanted him to be making, specifically not whiffing as much on hittable pitches in the zone. And yeah. I have not dug into all of his minor league data. I, I don't know how I much. I have it right here. Okay, let's let's hear it. Okay, so last three weeks, Corey, okay, so this is three weeks, 17 games, uh, 64 plate appearances. About that whiff rate, you ready for this? A strikeout rate of 21.8%. Mm. That is better than league average, Corey. Better than league average for both AAA and Major League if you want to you know, transition that to that mark. Not only that, his walk rate is 18%. 18%. He's batting 313. His on-base percentage is 436 his slugging is 625. His OPS is 1061. His WOBA is 439. Again, this is the last three weeks. So one of the issues Hab had was the whiffs, right? He kind of lowered those whiffs in June and some parts of May, but the power wasn't there. And we were wondering, okay, what's going on with the power? Now the power is back. It's been three weeks. He's hitting home runs. He's going gap to gap from the left side of the plate and the right side of the plate. I think, like, let's go. Let's let's bring him up nine days away. Let's see how those changes look against major league pitching. But <laughs> in the in the back of my mind, I feel like that's too, it's too late for that. Like, I even even me personally, like, I think it's too late. Like, I don't know if I can trust Ian Happ to go out there and stop my idea of going out and getting more outfielders yeah. in addition to Castellanos. I think it's too late. It sucks to say, but I, I really do. 
Yeah, I, I think it. you do put yourself in a situation where you haven't given yourself a lot of time. So even if he was called up to join the Cubs uh, on this next road trip, you just haven't given yourself a lot of time to say, oh yeah, like we believe that these changes have been made. He's good to go. We're, we're all set here and, you know, maybe we can just go get another bat and we're, we're going to be totally fine. So it, it is a curious thing. And I think we've expressed enough how much it pisses us off, frankly, <laughs> that they continue to waste a roster spot on Daniel Descalso. It, it's something yeah. that I, I genuinely don't understand. And, and what I mean by that is not that I don't understand why it's happening. I, I understand how baseball rosters work. I understand how options work. You cannot option Daniel Descalso. I understand that he's on a, a two-year deal. I get it, right? So I, I understand the the actual reason for why this is. But what I'm saying is, why does that matter to the Chicago Cubs? That's the question that I'm asking. Like, you can't option him, so he has to pass through waivers if you want to DFA him or whatever. Who cares, Brendan? Like, the, the, he's, he's a sub-replacement level player. He keeps getting these pinch hit spots. He got another one on Sunday. Doesn't look any good. Doesn't drive the ball. Doesn't put together yeah. good plate appearances. He's got a 48 WRC+. plus. I, I just don't get it. We're afraid Maybe to— Maybe he's injured, man. Like, like I'm serious. Why I, are I can't we playing think, a man down every Trust day. me, I get it. That's, that's another conversation, but I don't—like, uh, yeah, I don't get why the Cubs— would not want to throw him through the waiver process right. and bring and someone else up. And, and again, I didn't mean to even turn... We, we all know Descalso has been extremely bad. So I didn't even mean to turn this into relitigating that. But my point was, why not a week ago or two weeks ago, like once he started getting hot, why not swap him for Ian Happ? And if you lose they, him, you they lose They must him. not be content with the changes. I don't know, man. Like, that, that, they, like that's the only well, reason but, why, But right? that's what I mean, though. That gets back to what we were just discussing, is that instead they're basically playing with 24 players on their roster on a given on any given day like Discalso yeah. can go out there and and be a, a body in the field and in the lineup but he doesn't start really ever anymore he barely he's definitely not the first one getting these pinch hit spots he's not the guy that Joe's calling on in these big spots if he has literally anybody else available so you're just looking at it going like we're kind of playing a man down on a daily basis and all because what, Brendan? We we don't want to lose a sub replacement level player. Like I keep saying this, and it's and it's somewhat just because I think it's funny to phrase it this way. But that's literally what the stat is supposed to represent. Like that, if you did DFA him and and lose him through waivers or whatever, you can find somebody else to be a sub replacement level player. It's not that hard. There's plenty of them everywhere. That's the whole point. So I just don't really understand what they're doing there as far as, like, you just have a guy on your roster who you can't use as a defensive replacement and who you're not really even calling on to do anything in, in the spots where plays you plays second base. Right. It's not as if he can play shortstop anymore and he's a terrible third baseman. He has a bad arm that goes I don't even want to see that. Don't even say that. I'm I'm sorry. Like I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all bad. just to get to the point where when we're looking at the you know acquiring position players, you do call some of this stuff into question. Where where you're thinking like I I know they wanted Hap to make real long term changes, and he's a young player, a top draft pick, and his overall career arc may take precedence over just trying to figure out the 2019 season. But then what about Almora then? Because well, the guy right. has been struggling 
to greater extents than Hap has ever struggled. So if you want to, again, if you want to apply that same logic about the protecting the career arc, there's no reason Elmore should be on this team right now. There's, yeah. there's, there's no reason. The last calendar year, Corey, Elmore, you talk about sub-replacement, he's cost the team's 0.6 war. He's been negative 0.6 war in value over the past calendar year. And nothing he's done recently is inspiring anything that's different. And so I get the whole defensive replacement issue. We'll call him back up in September when the rosters expand. That type of value, that defensive value, is not going to outweigh his poor performance right now. So right. you have multiple issues going on here where you have, in one sense, protecting a young player's career arc. But on the other hand, with Amora, maybe you're doing more harm than good. And you have a worse player right now than what Ian Happ would provide. That That's the part that I don't get. Yeah, I, I, so I think the, the larger kind of topic here that, that we're, we're discussing kind of freely is basically when you're heading, you're 10 days away from the trade deadline and your team is pretty heavily connected to some of these offensive names from varying degrees, you take a look at the roster and kind of ask yourself, like, if you're doing everything to have solved this internally. And I think some of how the Cubs have gone about this is a little curious. And I think that, like, we saw, despite my protests, I, I guess we can officially rule out whether Joe Madden listens to the Cubs-related podcast or not, because I <laughs> begged him to stop leading off with Albert Almora, and, and he defied me. And, Brendan, I got to be honest with you. I, I message you, but if you guys— Maybe you guys assume this, but you could see my blood boiling when I checked that lineup early in the day. Like it was like one of those old Looney Tunes cartoons where like the guy's face turns red and there's steam coming out of his ears. That was pretty yeah. much me. And I'm I'm not going to run through this whole argument again, but he he's he's been one of the worst hitters in the league for at least the last calendar month, and. Those are just real numbers, and I and I I can't believe that a team in the Cubs position are putting someone with such poor on base numbers at the top of their order. But again, I'm I'm not going to go through that all again. But it is just to say, I know that Joe wants to get some of these guys going. But we've talked about this before. Like at some point, you have to pick a lane here. Like we were very heavily on the David Bodie campaign, but he is a mess at the plate right now. Just an absolute even in the field mess. too, right? That's and the he continues to get crossed up on some of these very simple plays. He's he's one of those players who just always. It's uh, one of the friends of the podcast, Matt Clapp at the Blog Finds on Twitter tweets this out every time, and he just says, David Bodie's one of those guys who he makes amazing plays on defense when he doesn't have to think about it, when he just right. is forced to make a quick play, get his glove on it, release it. He's got a very strong arm, and he makes those plays all the time, but sometimes we just see him mess up routine plays, and, and it's something that continues and continues. He is still not close on these elevated fastballs. It's got to be one of the biggest and easiest holes to exploit of of players going right now. It's just so obvious, and it's just been a very tough adjustment for him. So you look around at this position group, and I know you want to get these guys in there. You want to give them the opportunity. You you, you know, someone like Almora, you you basically this weekend, I, I, I'm, I would assume the logic is we need to get this guy going, and if it's not going to happen— we're going to, you know, give it another fair shake. Like, take a couple games at leadoff, show us what you got in there, make the adjustments, make it happen, because we need it to start happening. But at some point, right, 
you have to be able to say, this is not going to happen. And you don't have to give up on them from a career's perspective. You don't have to release them. Nobody's suggesting that for, for some of these players. But you do have to decide, like, is this guy going to reach the level we need him to be at in the major leagues in 2019? And I think for some of these guys, you have to make a decision as to whether you think that's going to happen. But regardless, you got to stop leading off with guys like Elmora. We do not have time to prioritize getting guys right over the team winning. It's got to be team winning first when you are in our, where when you are in a division that is this close and this competitive with not one but multiple teams breathing down your neck. So, speaking of the position players, I I did want to get your thoughts because we saw something this weekend that we don't really often see. I, I'm honestly I would have to think specifically about what the last time we saw Joe Madden kind of specifically, I like to use the word drag, but that's not really what Joe Madden was doing. But we we really don't see that from him very often. He is, I think, one of his trademarks as a manager and as a clubhouse leader is that he is going to protect these guys, sometimes to the point where he says stuff that we all kind of roll our eyes and we're like, okay, sure, Joe. But that's his MO. That's who Joe Madden is, and that's why he's so respected by these players. That's why the clubhouse is the way that it is for the teams that he manages, because he protects his guys. He's not throwing people under the bus. But he didn't really hold back when speaking about Addison Russell and his performance on Saturday. It was miscues left and right from Russell. Now, Joe did excuse the ball that Russell lost in the sun. I don't know that I would be as forgiving because he lost a couple balls uh, that you know allowed the Padres to continue doing things on offense. Though Brandon Kinsler did bail him out. What a what a cover by Brandon Kinsler on that play. Got a, a lot of props yeah. to Kinsler for being there covering second base, uh, and was joking with Rizzo afterward that you know that's what real athletes do is they cover second base. So good to see Kinsler getting in on the fun here. But back to Russell. He gets picked off on a line drive that Almora hits to left field. Where Russell was going on that ball, I don't know, but he gets doubled off at second base. He gets thrown out at home on a contact play. He fails to advance a base on another play in this game. It was all over the place. And he almost got picked off too, right. by the way, that people don't remember. So yeah, keep going. we're at like at least three or four actual blunders and then maybe a couple other ones, right? That you, and then that he's you, throwing his bat in the dugout, right, yes, you know, he, whiffing he, the striking now. He's also last at bat of the game, does end right with his Addison Russell trademark strike. Yeah. Out, throw the bat toward the dugout, which we've seen a thousand times, as we mentioned before on this podcast, almost killed Brendan at one point in his life. So it did, we're, yeah. we're very yep. familiar with this. But when asked by the beat writers, is some of this stuff, is this just one of those games it was really hot out there, some sloppiness from other guys? Was this just one of those games for Addison Russell? So the beat reporters, at least in the way they framed it on Twitter, they kind of gave him an out for this, and he didn't take it. Joe said no. We've talked about his base running in the past. We're making too many outs on the bases, and we're missing things on the bases that we can't to be an elite team. And he he did go further to just say, like, he specifically, Joe said, he needs to straighten some of this stuff out. And Brendan, like, I really was kind of racking my brain. I don't really remember that many instances of Joe being that direct 
about a player and really refuting the opportunity from the beat writers to say, yeah, you know, it's it feels like it's 120 degrees out there. He's still getting comfortable at second base. And we had some other guys make some bad plays. The Padres made some bad plays all weekend as well. We, you know, we got to be cleaner, but it was just one of those days. And Joe was pretty definitive, like, no, I've talked to him about his base running in the past. It has to stop. Did did you read anything into this? Like, obviously, he was still with the team on Sunday, so it's not like he got sent down. He does have options to be sent down. But this was a, a pretty, like, specific and direct call-out from Joe Madden that this stuff isn't good enough. And then, you know, he is out of the lineup on Sunday. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Usually Joe just goes in and when, when he talks down like that in that tone, it's generally at the team. We're like, yeah, we got to be better with the runners in scoring position. We got to hit better. No doubt about it. Like we heard Joe say that probably at least five times this year. But yeah, I've never heard that directed at one particular player. I'm not, I don't like Addison Russell, but I still, I don't like Joe doing that to any player. I'm not going to lie. But I do think Joe, in, in the heat of the game, no pun intended, and the emotion of that game, Russell made seven ish, like miscues that game, including his at-bat. Seven. Like, I'm counting them right now. I don't want to go through them. He made seven. And it was, all, it was embarrassing, Corey. It was like a Little League performance out there. Never, never should you go out there and make those type of base running blunders. And again, he almost got picked off on one of those plays right before he made another base running blunder. That should just never happen. And this is his fifth year. And I have this discussion a lot with a lot of people about Addison Russell. I know I know he's young, but in five years, Corey, he has done nothing to improve. He's done everything to regress. Right. He's been moved off shortstop. He's been moved off shortstop. He's regressed. And that's partially because Javi Baez is so good, but nevertheless, he was never good enough to sustain his position as a shortstop. And now we're seeing zero progress this year. I think even offensively, zero instinctual progress on the diamond. And it's quite the contrast when you have Javi Baez in that same game going out there and making beautiful tags to cover second base running the bases beautifully, forcing the effort. He forced another air Corey that allowed him to go to third base that eventually scored one of the first runs of the game. So it's a perfect contrast when you have those two middle infielders right there. I'm over Addison Russell. I hate I hate even talking about this once again on the podcast. But at some point, like you have to accept, even if you don't like Russell as a human and you're just looking at him as a as a baseball player, you have to accept this this guy doesn't have it, man. Like Maybe he will grow out of it, but right now, fifth year in the league, 
done nothing to progress, has, has done everything to regress. And mentally, he's 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 not there. I'm not saying that's a lack of effort or a lack of whatever, but mentally, he's just not there. He's not in tune with the game. Right. He just doesn't have it, Corey. That's all I have. He is... Addison Russell does not have what it takes to be an everyday player right now. Yeah, and I and I think that it's worthwhile to point out too because uh, as we've talked about a lot of these guys, they all get kind of lumped together, the 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 back end of the position players and the guys who have not been consistent performers. But I think aside from the obvious off-the-field issues with the domestic violence suspension with Addison Russell, I think that people are harder on him from a baseball perspective because you look at people like David Bodie and Albert Almora, they have not gotten regular starting playing time for four-plus seasons. Like, this is right. David Bodie's second year that's, in the majors. That's, that's an important note. Yeah, Albert Almora has, the, the, you know, has, has been going in and out of just being a bench guy. He started his career with the Cubs as basically just a pinch runner defensive replacement. That was it. And he obviously plays a huge role in them winning the World Series with his tag up. But he's not someone that has been getting everyday playing time since he joined the, the major league team. Far from it. Again, as I always say, that's probably the number one argument that his supporters have when people try to, you know, bring him down about his offense is that he has not really gotten a consistent level of playing time that they believe he deserves. So I I do think that that's worth noting in this comparison that Russell was an everyday player since 2015. So when you hear Joe being so harsh about this, this isn't a guy that is learning uh, uh, how to play in the big leagues. Or And also, like I still roll my eyes at the, the notion that he needs more experience playing second base. He came up with the Cubs playing second base because He's Starlin Castro was a shortstop. So a obviously that. there's a difference, and you can allow some adjustment when you've been playing shortstop every day for a very long time. Sure. But the notion that he, like, needs to get settled in at second base, like, come on. Like, that's not—like, Robel Garcia needs to get settled in the outfield, right? Like, that's not something that he's been doing. Addison Russell's played second base before. Like, stop with that, okay? So I I do just think it's worthwhile to point out, like, this isn't some young player who's getting a shot, like his first shot at regular playing time, and there's just some growing pains. Like, this guy's had plenty of time, and a game like Saturday is— really not acceptable at this point from him and it it really nearly cost them the game and again he was not the only person to make blunders in that game on either team the the Padres were throwing the ball around the entire weekend they were making mistakes on the bases all the same but we we need to we we get to a point and again we we talked about all the stuff enough, that yeah. we we heard in the offseason about accountability and production over talent etc like you got to feel like a game like Saturday is the type of thing where you go, all right, this isn't good enough. Clean it up in Iowa, and we'll bring you back when you're ready to come back. But this isn't good enough. This is not acceptable. You're still not really making any particular strides at the plate, and this is just a mess. And and again, like with, with Garcia, yes, he misplays that early ball gets the pitching staff in trouble. Nobody's defending that, but there's a an easy explanation for that. He's slugging at the plate, and he's not a good defender that has not played some of these positions with regularity. Addison Russell has been a starting member of this team since 2015, save for his suspension that was his own doing, and some injuries that have kept him out for weeks or you know a month or so at a time. But he's been an everyday player. You cannot have games like Saturday, if you're not providing that production 
at the plate or, or or in the field to a degree that is you know making this acceptable it it we, we need to start seeing some accountability for some of these guys and I, and I think that doesn't necessarily just fit for Russell like we we, we heard all offseason that it was going to be about production and we're at the trade deadline here Brendan and that mantra has not really rung true at all except for Ian Happ and so yeah. I, I just think that that's really where this conversation wraps up because we're heading to the trade deadline. You're going to have to make decisions on some of these guys. And I think that that's where finally we're going to have to get those moments where it's like, we gave you the shot, but the production isn't there. And so we need to find it somewhere. I, I did just want to wrap up that part of the conversation with a a good juxtaposition, if you will, of how Joe Madden spoke about Javi Baez after Saturday's game. And like you mentioned, Brendan, this is another one where Javi, just an absurd, absurd tag in this game going behind his back. I think it was Hosmer, wasn't it? Or was it Will Myers? I think it was Will Myers. I think it was Will Myers. Excuse me. Does does it matter? Does it matter? No. No. All that matters is El Mago. But yes, looking behind him, or no look, I mean, and and swiping his glove behind him to get Myers like in the cleat or in his lower leg. And you're looking at this going like, how does this guy continue to find ways to impress us and just make us go, wow. And and that was one of those where he's not even looking. It's behind his back and he's, and he's tagging that. And it was a huge out in this game. But after the after that one, Joe says, again, in comparison to how he addressed Addison Russell on Javi, he says, quote, he's a baseball player and you saw a lot of plays today that weren't baseball plays. The game is clamoring for baseball players that know how to play this game and he is one. He continues, he's got the biggest hard drive, the most RAM. He's got everything going on every day. He's got great vision. What he sees in advance, it's like the best running back. It's like the best point guard you've ever seen. It's all of that as a shortstop. Yes, Joe, I love it. And that's absolutely what it is. And I, I think it is a good juxtaposition where Javi is out there every day making those plays that are changing the game for the Cubs in good ways. And we've seen all these guys make mistakes, right? Every single player on this team has made mistakes. But there are some of these guys who, when they take risks, you know it's worth it because they pay it off in the end and they are doing those little things on an everyday basis that you, you don't put as much stock into the occasional blunder because they grossly outweigh it with their hustle and their production in every other facet of the game. And Javi's just one of those guys where he makes plays like this and you all that you can say is literally, wow, like who is this guy and how are we so lucky that he is on our team and he's on our shortstop? And you see him hit a, a big go-ahead home run in this series. He just does it all. And I, I don't know that, Brendan, that's I don't know that the computer metaphor, like with the most RAM that Joe went to, not specifically where I would go with, you know, trying to drum up comparisons. I like it. I like, of I like course that. you like it. The, the, what, what is that supposed to well, mean? Well, you're the data nerd. You're, you know, the, you're the really. stats guy. But Whatever. 
you love hard drives and all that stuff. Come on, everybody knows that about you. Give but not, not where I would have gone <laughs> with the metaphor as far as how, how Joe Madden laid it out. But I do think that the, the point is very clear that Javi is just such an incredible talent out there, and really every day is is finding a way to do something where you just have to stop and appreciate who he is and what he is as a baseball player. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'm the only shortstop on this podcast that played high school baseball. Just throwing it out there. You know, call me a data scientist or whatever you want, but I'm the one playing shortstop. Anyway, okay, let's uh, preview this upcoming series against the San Francisco Giants, which, by the way, you can get tickets to that series through SeatGeek. Baseball season is well underway, and there's no better place to get your tickets other than on SeatGeek. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place, so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek asked baseball fans from all 30 teams all across the country which stadiums have the best experience. From the food to the traffic, they ranked all. Want to know where the Cubs rank? Check them out at www.seatgeek.com slash stadium hyphen guides and find out what fans said about the Cubs. That's www.seatgeek.com slash stadium hyphen guides. But whether the Cubs are ranked high or low, make sure to get out to a game this season with SeatGeek. And to help you get even more savings on tickets, our listeners get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CUBSRELATED today. That's promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Okay, so on Monday, start time, 8.45 p.m. Central Time, a late start time for you guys in Chicago and on the East Coast and Midwest. Alec Mills takes the mound, his second start as a Cub this season. He'll be facing Sean Anderson, who's 3-2 and two with a 4.87 ERA. On Tuesday, another 8.45 p.m. Central start time, Yu Darvish back on the mound, hoping to continue his strong second half start. He'll be facing Madison Bumgarner, who's 5 and 7, but with a 3.65 ERA. And then to finish off the three game set, the Cubs will throw your boy, John Lester, on the mound, who's 9 and 6 with a 3.87 ERA. He'll be facing Tyler Bede for the Giants. Bede this year, 3 and 3 with a 4.7 ERA. Bede, a former top prospect for the Giants, has been kind of slow to develop but has uh, since shifted his pitch repertoire around and has been pretty successful as of late. Uh, the Giants right now are 50-50. and 50. They've made a run here in the second half, but they are still 16 games out in the West, but nevertheless still competing for a wildcard spot. Right now, the Cubs are still in first place, 54-45. Uh, and 45. Two games up of Milwaukee, two and a half games up of the Cardinals, seven and a half games up now of the, of the Pirates, and nine games up of the Reds. They've really fallen off the cliff here. Uh, just to give the complete picture of the National League, the Braves right now are 60 and 41, and they are six and a half games up in the NL East over the Nationals, and the Phillies are seven and a half games back of the East. That's the picture right now. What I'm looking for is just seeing the, the big guys in the Cubs continue to do well. So since the second half started, I just want to throw out some of these numbers here. Rizzo batting 469, Corey, in these last nine games entering Sunday, okay? Uh, he has a 509 Woba in those 38 plate appearances. Chris Bryant also doing well, a 452 Woba batting 300, three home runs, walking once every four plate appearances. Javi Baez batting over 300, multiple home runs. Jason Hayward continues to do well, batting 364. And even Schwarber in 30 plate appearances, doing well. Three home runs, 
walking his overall Woba in that time stretch, uh, 373. So the big guys are doing what they should be doing. Hopefully, we see some clarity before the uh, uh, the trade deadline here, but we're, we're getting a little bit too close to that point. Nevertheless, it's good to see Rizzo, Bryant, Javi, Hayward, and Schwarber continue to do well, and that should, if, if they keep doing that well, that should continue to carry some weight and win these close games like they've been doing. Yeah, so I think that now this is part two of wanting to see some differences from how that first half ended. We saw them clean some stuff up play really well at home, collect those W's, win all three of those series. And now here's the second test, and that is improving their play on the road. And they are 18 and 27 on the road so far. That was a a, a real struggle for them as, as we went toward the end of that first half. And now you have an opportunity to continue playing good, clean, tight baseball, but doing it on the road. And I think that, you know, certainly this is not a team that can't play well on the road or needs to be in front of the Wrigley faithful in order to perform at a high level. I don't think that there's any of that going on. I think it's just sort of how that first half played out. But obviously, at some point, you need to take care of business a little better on the road. They're doing everything they need to be doing at home. You know, their, their record there and all those numbers are perfect, exactly what you would want them to be. But you got to step it up a little bit on the road. Otherwise, you're, you're putting an awful lot of pressure on playing really well at Wrigley Field. And that's not necessarily something you want to completely be relying on. So I think that's that's all I would like to see is just get some W's on the road. Obviously, an interesting stretch of games here just with the particular opponents, right? Because obviously you have uh, Milwaukee and St. Louis on this road trip to finish it out at the end of July and starting at the beginning of August. But the, the Giants are in an interesting place because they have played themselves into wild card contention. This is a team that I don't think anyone gave any consideration for in terms of threatening for a playoff spot, and I don't even know if most people still consider them there, even if they are, you know, are near there right now. But this is one of those series where the Cubs can go in there if they knock them around a little bit. You know, maybe you remind them, "Hey, you guys are supposed to be sellers. Like, let's not get crazy here." <laughs> And if yeah. they're able to play well against the Cubs, you know, maybe they're thinking a little higher. But it is just an interesting time to be playing the Giants as they're playing really well to start this second half. They were on a, a big winning streak recently. So an interesting time to be catching them. Not really the best time to be catching them, but it is what it is. So I think I would just like to see these things continue. Again, for the most part on that homestand, the Cubs played a better brand of baseball than we saw in those last couple weeks of the first half. So I think it's all about just keeping that going. And again, like trying to minimize those games like Saturday, those games like Saturday, even though they get the W, they, they did their best to try to hand that game to the Padres. And you got to limit those types of games going forward. We just can't see too many of those games like that where you are giving every inch to the other team for an opportunity that they can take. And when you are playing the Brewers and the Cardinals upcoming in this week, these are the games where you have an opportunity to really create some separation and not let these teams get too close to you in this division race. You got to do it. And at the very least, if it's if you're going to lose to them, you got to make them beat you. You cannot be having too many of those games like Saturday where you're kind of putting it on a silver platter, though the Padres were, again, nice enough to 
have their own silver platter. It was like a battle of who could get to the table first, but the Padres won that one. So either way, just keep the, the clean baseball going. This brand of baseball has been better, and we're, we're in that time, folks, where you, you kind of got to get prepared to say goodbye to some of these guys. You got to get prepared to welcome some new faces. We have no idea if Theo is going to go all out and get crazy here at this deadline and do some serious overhauling of this roster, or if we're just going to see a, a couple of names added to the bench and maybe the bullpen and not all that much drama going on. But we're only about 10 days away when you guys are listening to this. It'll be the 22nd, so we are on a collision course with that trade deadline. The Cubs coming up in a lot of rumors, a lot of discussions. So buckle up. And like I said, if you if you have a particular personal emotional attachment to someone, let's say, who isn't named Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, etc., like some of those big guys, you maybe just prepare yourself that, that things are going to change here in, in the next uh, week plus. So that, I think, is where we will leave you as the Cubs head out on the road to Brendan and I's time zone. It's it's convenient for us because it's, it it's, is, it's yes, a little so later for us. It's not necessarily in the middle of the day, but I, I definitely, having lived in Chicago and, you know, who will be back in Chicago, uh, I think, at the end of this month, I do empathize with having to stay up for those late games when the Cubs are on the West Coast. It's not fun, and especially when the games don't go well and you're looking at the clock and it's midnight, you're thinking, well, this wasn't really a great use of my time, and now my workday is going to be all thrown off. So we empathize with you there, uh, but Brendan and I will enjoy it, at least for these these three games here in San Francisco. But otherwise, as always, we thank you guys for listening. We continue to get a lot of very nice five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast Store that, as I always say, I read them, and I Brendan and I look at each other, and we're like, I can't believe people say such nice things about us. It's it's very flattering and, and very humbling and a good reminder of, of why we enjoy doing this so much. It's uh, a nice little community that we built together and us looking forward to recording the podcast, you guys looking forward to hearing about it. And it, it's a lot of fun seeing the, the, the Twitter mentions and stuff like that when something happens and you guys are thinking of us, like how would Corey and Brendan be reacting to that? Or you know how we would be reacting to that in, in particular instances like John Lester hitting a home run or Almora leading off. I think we made it very clear how we feel about those things. So just cool to see you guys kind of already anticipating that. But we will talk to you guys on Wednesday night after the Cubs finish up the series in San Francisco. Hopefully they get that road record cooking here in the second half. And as always, go Cubs. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey! A bag that breaks? Whippy, whippy, whippy! Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky! You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty! It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong... 
all day long. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.